The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Um, good morning. Um, if you, sorry, I have to set up a timer so that I know how long I'm going. <laughs> so that, uh, anyhow, um, so um, we are preaching through uh, this kind of this topical series uh, in the month of July. So let me just kind of speak to that and then we'll get to our passage. Um, we're doing this series called Walking in the Spirit Together. Um, and it's kind of a catch-all phrase for me to kind of speak to a few things that we want to either revisit as a part of uh, our values as a church or introduce as a part of something that we want to explore together. So um, this morning, we're talking about spiritual gifts this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, the following two Sundays um, in July, uh, we're going to talk about this thing called the daily office. Um, and then the last week in July, we're going to talk about small groups. Uh, really, I realized I haven't taught about what's like specifically like what our missional communities are for um, since we planted, you know, like a long time ago. And so um, that's just a kind of refresher on that. None of these topics, I will say, are um, expectations of like, you must now do blah, blah, blah. These are, in a certain sense, revisiting biblical categories for us of spiritual gifts, our prayer life, our small group life together, and we're just <laughs> speaking of prophetic gifts. Um, <laughs> so it's just for us to kind of revisit them. I don't want you to experience them as pressure points at all. So what we're going to do now is, I don't know why I brought this up here. Um, we're going to look at, we're going to turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, this will be how we're going to kind of introduce and talk about spiritual gifts. Um, I'm going to read our passage for us, and then we'll kind of talk through what we intend to do here. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 13. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So, in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. Father, as we open your word and consider uh, spiritual gifts for our life today in the church and how they can be a source and tool of encouragement for each other, I pray that you would stir our faith and expectation and help us to be aware of our own hesitations and concerns that we could work through those things together. 
and in the midst of all of that, grow to be more like Jesus. In the power of the Holy Spirit, for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So here's what I want to do as we kind of open this category up. I want us to consider, as we're working through this, um, what are the areas, what are the sources of either excitement or faith that you have when, I, when we talk about this? Or what are the places of concern and kind of like, yo, what's going on here? Because when we talk about something like spiritual gifts, like this, this is a bit of like, I don't know what your experience is with spiritual gifts or what your observation is about them or what your assumptions are. My guess is that generally it's like, that's the circus act that some Christians do over there, <laughs> right? And uh, we're New Englanders. We, you know, kind of, if we don't start our clothes, we kind of start our clothes. Like we just like, we, we're very kind of like here. Like we don't, we're not big and loud like those circus guys over there. So I'm not sure what your experience is. But in the, in the reality is, um, as we work through those, I want us to just kind of to ask questions of ourselves, whether that's our experience assumptions or we've had a healthy experience. How am I processing this? What are my questions? Are there any sort of hesitations or concerns that I have? Or are there areas of faith? Are there things that like, hey, that sounds interesting. Tell me more about that. What does it look like for us to practice this? All that to say, as we work through this, this is not kind of like a standard sermon where like I talk for 30 minutes and you dutifully sit and listen. Like this is intended to be very, uh, I've, I've built in breaks as we kind of work through this to kind of be like, here's some information and illustration of what this looks like. What do you think? Um, so with that being said, there is a Q&A number up on the front with all the, you know, all the normal kind of notes about that. I would appreciate it if you just want to just yell out your question in an appropriate way. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we all know who we're talking about, Miles, you know. Like, so, <laughs> um, so let me talk. The reason we're picking this passage is because this is kind of the main passage, and it has kind of the, quote, list of the spiritual gifts. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um <laughs> But let me give a definition. <laughs> now that I've invited it, like it's just going to happen, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave and Holly. I'm sorry if I've made you uncomfortable anyway. Okay. Um, so let me provide a definition of what we are just kind of the main point what we're talking about. And then we'll kind of go through um, this passage. Um, basically, uh, when, we, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are the Spirit's active presence of empowering, uh, active presence, empowering us to share in God's community of love, to be like Jesus. That should, I hope, kind of reduce the temperature on the whole spiritual gift thing. Because I'm not sure what tradition you come from, but some kind of church communities are like, spiritual gifts are basically the Bible. And that's kind of the tone of them. Like, these are God's word. Or spiritual gifts never happened today. Like those are kind of two polar, kind of almost two polar opposite experiences. And basically what we're saying is, what we're going to see in this passage, especially the first couple of verses, spiritual gifts are God's active presence among us to share in his community of love to help us be like Jesus. That, that should kind of make this a little bit more accessible, I hope, and if it doesn't, we'll kind of work through that. So let me just kind of talk through verses four to six here. Spiritual gifts empower us with triune grace. Again, I, I'm aware 
of how long we could talk about this stuff. So I'm going to kind of briefly brush over some of these things. But let's read verses 4 to 6. Now, there are a variety of gifts with the same Spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, when Paul uses um, terms for, for God, he tends to be very consistent. When he talks about God, we think it, we should interpret that as God the Father, one person in the Trinity. And when he says Lord, he typically is talking about Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity. And here we have him mentioning the Spirit. And so what before Paul even introduces and talks about the purpose of the spiritual gifts, he is grounding us in each person of the Trinity having a say about what these gifts mean. Like this whole gift thing, we'll get to them. But in the heart of it, he says, effectively, right, the Spirit, everybody has a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, if you know anything, we're going to kind of talk a little kind of high theology here for a second. But each person in the Trinity, the way the Trinity functions when we look through the whole biblical record, is each member of the Trinity is highly focused on delighting in the other member of the Trinity. Right? The Father delights in the Son. And He delights in the Son so passionately for who He is that the Spirit is the third person in the Trinity that is that, that uh, bond of love between them. Now, again, we're talking about mysteries here that I'm kind of like, I can report the facts. How does this work out? Not quite sure. But each member of the Trinity is focused and delighting in who the other member of the Trinity is and is unselfish about who they are. So when we come to this passage, when Paul says, basically, I want to understand what this, what this life in Jesus is all about, before he gets to describing the gifts, the mechanisms or tools of how we do that, he says, you are actually put in the middle of this trinity, the, the middle of this God who is a community, one God, one community, all together. You are invited into that life. And before we get to talking about the spectacular stuff you can do, we want to talk about this particular spectacular God and how gracious and kind and good he is. This is why, I don't know if you've had any experience with spiritual gifts, this is why when people give a big prophetic word, whatever. God's going to do blah, blah, blah. And you can just kind of feel, this is really about that. <laughs> it feels gross. Because the purpose of spiritual gifts is they're basically an outward expression of this hidden life of the Trinity, right? The Trinity is an unself-centered, giving membership, like community. And so when we're invited to be a part of that, when we talk about spiritual gifts, they are a part of giving of ourselves, of using ourselves, of speaking about other people, of using our voice and using our ears and eyes, using our soul's expression of love for other people for their good, not, man, look how great I am. So that's, that, that's kind of where Paul's grounding this. I, I want to be sensitive to our time for Q&A, so we're going to kind of move on. But I think this is really important for us. God delights, God the Father delights in Jesus. 
the Spirit loves to make much and delight in the Father and the Son. They're focused on each other. Okay. Let's pick up here verse... Oh, I missed my note here. Verse 7 to 10, right? Spiritual gifts show us the Spirit's expansive grace. Okay. I'm going to read this passage in a second, but I, I want to note when before we read it, there's no indication when Paul writes this list that this is like a exhaustive, detailed, authoritative list. It's almost kind of like he's saying, you guys as a church are invited in the presence of the Spirit and the Son and the Father. And it shows up in kind of like the way the windows look. You know, he just starts listing off things as he's kind of walking around the room. Like he's not giving like an exhaustive, authoritative list that this, these are the only and ever-present gifts of the Spirit. So just kind of like, all right. Verse 7 to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same, um, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by, one, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of things. Do you notice anything when we read this? Are there any things that you would consider spiritual gifts that do not show up on this list? Compassion? Visions? Like people talk about vision, having a vision? Or a dream? Those don't show up on this list? Hospitality? Administration? Encouragement? I will say in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about um, kind of marriage and sex stuff, he talks about marriage as a spiritual gift. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. And celibacy is a manifestation of the Spirit. Both of those not on this list. So it's almost as though, like, don't get caught up on the list. Like, it's really about what the Spirit's doing. So with that in mind, I'm, I'm going to break down the list, if that's okay. Car Carolyn, is that okay if I break down the list? Okay. <laughs> um, and there's really, because of what Carolyn's saying there, that it's very much kind of like, Look, this is not an exhaustive list. It's not like this isn't the end all be all. It's kind of hard to like break down the list of like how should you understand this? Generally, commentaries have broken down the list into three categories. And so we're going to kind of use that to kind of create some buckets for us. There's a first category is going to be the spirit uh, gifts of instruction. Second one, I will get to this gifts of supernatural power and gifts of inspired utterance. All right. So when we get to the list, the gifts of instruction, first thing we're going to get to, I've actually kind of adjusted my perspective on this, and I'm going to explain why. Sometimes when the gifts of instruction, can we put that slide up, gifts of instruction, or do I not have? Um, gifts of instruction, I, I think the way I've talked about this in the past is basically along the lines of um, a spirit-led insight or wisdom for who somebody, like, uh, wisdom for somebody's life. I think the reason I've changed that to be much more this direction, public speaking about who God is and what he's done through the death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus, kind of capture both of those, is because when you look at 1 Corinthians, they were really, really, really obsessed with 
secret wisdom, and special knowledge. And those were basically code words that are kind of vague categories from the pagan culture around them where they were really interested in secret wisdom, like having some sort of like out of body experience or secret knowledge where you're like, it's similar, not entirely the same, but kind of like if you ever met somebody that's like really bought in on conspiracy theories, like look, like there's like conspiracy theories that are like, for example, I'm a hundred percent that mattress stores are a, a cover for the mob because nobody, <laughs> you know, I'm like you've got like that grade of conspiracy theories and like, it doesn't do anything for my life. So whatever, but you've got conspiracy theories of all the sorts of types. But like when you talk, it's like, they've got secret knowledge, like that type of thing. They were, the Corinthian church really gotten caught up with that because what basically happened is you have these vague t- categories of wisdom or knowledge, or for us in our day, you could have, rights or freedoms or any sort of like, you know, family, and you just kind of use this vague category, bring it into the church, and you've smuggled in this cultural definition that they were really obsessed with. So I think when Paul talks about gifts of wisdom or knowledge, he's talking about the public speaking related to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I think for specifically because like when you read I don't have a slide for this, but 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But those of you who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For considering your, consider your calling, brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. And he goes on to describe how Christ has become their wisdom for them. So I think when Paul's talking about the gifts of wisdom and knowledge, which it's really kind of hard to kind of figure out what the difference is between them. I think what he's basically saying is when you and your public corporate worship service celebrate, enjoy, talk about who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus, that's a gift from the Spirit. So you're free to disagree with that. But I think that's what Paul's getting at with this. With that in mind, I got some questions for us, and I'd like for you guys to kind of help me interact. First of all, if if you accept my definition, can we put that back up there, please? If you accept this definition, right, primarily celebrating Jesus and God's wisdom and truth about the world, even in this service today, where do you see this in our corporate worship together? Communion. Songs we sing, yeah. Not not just the songs that we plan to sing, right? But even just, I mean, you think about like Drew and Carolyn and, and John this morning, the way we're presenting those songs, right? On the moment, like in the moment, they're being ad-libbed or kind of amplified in a, only John and Drew and Carolyn can sing those songs like they did this morning. John Mayer may be great, <laughs> but he's not singing about Jesus on the corner of Valley and Wilson in our community. So would you say that that's, that is a spirit gift, a manifestation of the spirit? I, for me, when I read this, this is speaking, I can't say what those, I, I can't, what I'm saying is 
these gifts apply to public worship for a couple reasons. He's talking about public worship here in this chat part of the chapter. And all of these gifts are public in some way or the other. And they're all plural. That's the other part of this. There's not an individual command in this. They're all corporate public commands. So even when he talks about like the Spirit has individually given these to you, they're, they're swinging in corporate worship context. That's not to say that Sunday school, small groups, it, personal one-on-one Bible studies are not also spiritual gifts, so to speak. I'm just trying to, he's doing something specific to corporate worship here. What would you call small group conversation that's really edifying and meaningful and everybody's like growing in Jesus? It's like, that's not any less a spiritual gift. I just don't think that's what Paul has in mind here specifically. That's not to say that they're contradictory to each other. So let me just reiterate that to make sure everybody hears. We might need to be sure to hand the mic around when people share. I'm, I'm thinking primarily for people who may be watching online. Lori's illustration is fantastic. For example, one of my children brings me a specific drawing. That's great. I love it. But if my kids collectively do something together and bring that to me, that has a power to it as a collective unit that's different than individual. Not to say that it's better or worse. It's just different. Similarly, when we gather together in Sunday worship, there's something different, not better or worse, just different about a collective. The same way you mentioned the spirit is the collective yeah. um, enjoyment of the father and the son of each other and also them of the spirit. Um, that, so that enjoyment, we, we reflect the Trinity when we gather together and those things yeah. happen. Um, can I just step back? I, I realized I got a little excited about getting to the list and I forgot to mention something. Can I step back for a second and then we'll move on to the... I think this is, um, when I look at this list, I think verse 7 kind of controls how we think about what this list or the spiritual gifts are supposed to do. So verse 7 says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And there's basically two kind of, I think it was, can we, I put a picture in here of a bowling alley, like the gutter rails, right? You got these gutter rails here, like but basically... This is helping us understand what's the purpose of the spiritual gift so that it hits target. The common good in a manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation being anything that delights in and celebrates who Jesus is. And the common good, right? It's aiming at the collective good. This gets to kind of Shannon's question earlier, right? The purpose of a spiritual gift is so that everybody benefits. You'll notice the common good is will later be defined as being built up, strengthened, encouraged. It's not, the common good is not realized by me getting up here and telling you off for how bad you are, right? <laughs> you may be bad, but the common good is aiming at being built up in Jesus. So, is that making sense here? Okay. So, the gutter rails, there we go. So, I think we've kind of captured some of that as our, as our discussion has gone related to these gifts of knowledge or wisdom. Anything that's aiming at building us up in Jesus. That's utter. So I would say not merely what we talk about with songs, who is singing them, the types of songs we're singing. Basically, anything that happens that's spoken, the call to worship, scripture reading, prayer, those are all, even if they're pre-planned, doesn't mean that the Spirit's not a gift in them for us. Something that really hit me was actually in verse 4. 
that it says same spirit, same Lord and same God. And I know you pulled out the Trinity there, but also I feel like there can be so much divisiveness when we're talking about the spiritual gifts and how we're supposed to do it and what it looks right and what doesn't. And I'm like, this is all coming from the same premise and it's just expressions of how we worship him. So remembering that, yes, it's for the common good and the, the foundation is the same spirit. Yes. I, I will say one of my, like, um, sort of, uh, I will say personally, when I talk about this topic, I try to kind of subversively talk about it in such a way where even people who don't believe in the spiritual gifts recognize what they do in their corporate worship service is really just what I think spiritual gifts are. Um, that regardless of what they think, the spirit continues to use them to do spiritual stuff, you know, like, I've talked about this with folks before and they're like, Oh, what you're describing is just what we call testimonies. I'm like, yeah, I just use the Bible's term for it. So, you know, <laughs> so it, anyhow, sorry. You can feel I got a little bit of an edge about me on time, but yes, to your point, the, the this is the spirit working for unity. Um, all right. Gifts of supernatural power. I'm not exactly sure where the lines are on these and what's different, but gift of faith, this is different than everybody has received the spirit by uh, as a gift of uh, as a gift to even believe in Jesus. So that's not what we're talking about, right? The the gift of faith that Paul's talking about here is a spirit-filled conviction that God will reveal His power or mercy in a specific way in a specific instance. So basically, it's this sort of I I don't know why, but I feel like God's going to show up and fill in the blank. Like, is that type of language or that type of conviction or faith? Uh, we'll talk about examples of this in a second, but I, I want to kind of give you the definitions and then we'll kind of circle back on it. Gift of, gifts of healings. Now, I will say there's a very technical reason why I'm using gifts of healings, which I know is not proper English. It's because both words are plural in the Greek text, and that changes it from being one specific type of healing to various types of of different types of healing. So, which influences the definition here, various ways by which God reveals his holistic renewal of Christ's salvation and his coming kingdom to the congregation, congregation's witness to the gospel. Right. Generally, when you see gift, like the gift of healing occur in the New Testament, it's typically attached to some type of way that God reveals who Jesus is or speaks about his name or his conquering of death, right? Healings relate to the reversal of the power of death in our lives, basically. So, next one here. Workings of miracles or deeds of power, depends on your translation, the same idea, right? The surprising and unexpected work of the Spirit through us in the church to experience the powerful victories of Christ in our lives, either emotionally, physically, or circumstantially, right? Again, these are going to begin to get, we can go to, um, I have all three of them on the next slide if you guys are okay with me moving over. It, they all kind of blend together, right? What's the conviction, I, I, the gift of faith? Well, when you ask for a healing, for God to heal somebody, you're kind of expressing a gift of faith, like, God, would you show up in a specific place in a specific way? The gift of healings is just kind of a, a specific instance of a way of workings of miracles because i don't know about you but i would incur i would consider healings to be a miracle 
generally speaking. So when we look at this, the, this sort of these collection of definitions, what comes to, where are your hesitations, concerns, interests, questions? What comes to mind when we talk about these three types of things? Gifts of faith, gifts of healings, <laughs> workings of miracles. Any questions that come to mind? Can anybody think of illustrations of these? Or examples? In regards to gifts of healing, I read that more as a spiritual healing rather than like a physical healing. Is that that's intentionally? You, you read my right? you read my definition as a spiritual yes. healing? Yes. Uh, that was not intentional. I would... Okay. Um, I would include physical healing for sure. Most majority of healings in the New Testament that are labeled as healings are physical healings. I think when we look at certain instances, for example, like the woman at the well sort of thing, she's healed, but she's not physically healed. Both, I think, are healings. That's what I'm trying to capture in that language. Oh, yeah. The that centurion, one. right? Earlier in Luke. There you go. <laughs> The question yes. would be, Jesus has the power to do this alone, or Jesus' disciples have, we have the power to do this on behalf of Jesus. All the examples have been of Jesus doing something. Yeah. Not somebody today doing something. Yeah. That's a great question. I, I would say, so for example, this church exists because of the gift of faith. God gave Paul Buckley, the church in Haverhill, and Bill O'Grady. God wants to do something in Manchester. We visit, gives Michelle and I the gift of faith. God's going to do something here, and this church comes to fruition because of that. So I would say that church planting is an example of the gift of faith. I think that each of these are available for us today. I'm trying to give illustrations that aren't just like Bible Bible stories, but like today. If someone were to come up to me and say like, oh, I'm going to heal your... Would the gift of healing be like medical workers or even like in Dave's sermons, like Jesus had just given the disciples power to go out yeah. and cast out demons and do all these things. Like, um, So yeah, I guess that's more my question Are are we empowered through Jesus to do these things, or is this just uh, Jesus heals and Jesus does miracles and yeah. Jesus gives gifts of faith? I think that's I. So the the spirit. I think that's kind of what Paul gets into here: is that the spirit that empowered Jesus to do those things. It wasn't just Jesus acting alone. Like he's not like the the rogue member of the Trinity. The Spirit is empowering him to do those things. That's what Paul talks about. I think that's kind of why he uses some of this the same Spirit language. That same Spirit's in us. Now, I think everybody can acknowledge we don't do them in the same way. Like, Jesus didn't ask permission or ever pray for a healing, and we do. So that's like a big difference, right? 
So we're basically like, Jesus, would you do this? We think you're going to do this. The, the important part is the faith that ties us to Jesus, not the, do we get the thing? The healing, the power, whatever it is. Like that's, so the gifts still are available today, is that basically, like I, they function in a different way because the spirit fills us, but Jesus didn't ask permission. The gift of faith, um, is this an action or a disposition? Well, I have to say, in answering that question, all we have in the Greek text is the gift of faith. So I, I have to speculate beyond. Sure. So generally, I would put it in a disposition rather than an action. It's a public disposition. So when we start talking about, like, we think God's going to do something church planting on the west side or over on the western side of Manchester, that's a disposition. So then or, is the, so you, I, I would say, so you used church planting as an yeah, example. Yeah, I right? know that. I'm sorry. I don't so, mean no, 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 that's okay. That. No, that's so, so you and Michelle are presented this idea of Manchester uh-huh. and through a gift of faith, act out on that, right? Sure. If Paul and Bill have an, an insight, I guess, that some sort of revelation that there's supposed to be a church here. Yeah. Is that a gift of faith or is that, you know, something that is different and then is responded to by the gifts of faith that exist? Uh, I would probably put those in the gift of faith direction. Okay. I, I'm not sure I want to like pigeonhole us just into talking about church planting and the gift of faith. Sure, sure. Um, Let's say somebody in the congregation, for example, says, God, I, I, I feel like God really wants to, for us to lean in on helping the homelessness situation in our city. And I feel like God's going to give us what we need in some particular way. And believing in faith starts taking steps of who's doing what, how can we help, what the gift of faith that God's going to work for the, the public good strikes me as another illustration of the gift of faith. I think the city would benefit from work in that range. Different than a church plant. Still public. Still something beyond what we can foresee or understand, but specific in a specific way. Or if if you're a church that values having a public, like, for example, uh, sorry, I, I can go off on this, but like, I'm just trying to think of like, if you're a church that says we want to have a certain type of building so we can have a certain type of presence in the city, I don't have no idea how God's going to provide that, the money, the funding, the people, blah, 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 blah. That might be a gift of faith as well. You know, like, I I don't want to tie us into certain illustrations, but I'm trying to use illustrations to say, I think that we've experienced this. It's a something from the Spirit. Okay. Yeah. Good. I, I'm going to have to, I like to have boxes. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. No, I would I, say you're in I good I get com- what you're saying. I hear, yeah. I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. I, it hasn't quite connected, but it's enough for me to make so, it happen. Public good, manifestation of the spirit. We're trying to work within that range here. I think those are the boxes. You are talking about a guy who writes a lot of letters in the New Testament who loves his boxes. The Apostle Paul loves boxes so (laughs) 
Thank the, you. The Apostle John loves circles. So, <laughs> anyhow. Uh, I don't, sorry, I feel like I could, this could get really confusing. Questions? How is this? Is this area like like hesitation striking? Like any emotions related to this? You're excited. Everybody, Carolyn's excited. Would anybody like to speak for the? I'm hesitant. This makes me kind of nervous or anxious. It's sort of a, it's not really my personal anxiety, but we're in a place right now where the church, you know, what's called the church, right. has just done some horrific things. Yeah. So the hesitancy is to see what's genuine and what's of the spirit. Sure. Um, as Hebrews would say, I'll probably pronounce it wrong, but the hypostasis, right? That the substance, yeah, the evidence, the real stuff. And I, I really feel personally like this church can be a beacon of hope for this country, this world that's seen the horrible abuse, yeah, that's taken place. But there has to be a way of authenticating so there's that there's excitement but there's hesitancy like this needs to be genuine sure. of the spirit of god and sure. blessed yeah anybody else want to speak about any sort of like anxieties or hesitations about this and the reason i ask that is not to put you on the spot and kind of like don't you believe the bible it's more of look this is new territory for a lot of us even for me, as somebody who believes this stuff, I've experienced all the negative things you can think of. I still think that it's in the Bible for us to consider for our life together. So let's have the conversation. That's basically what I'm trying to, my disposition is here. So growing up, uh, I think a lot of the spiritual gift stuff was always kind of explained away as we don't see that currently. So there was an age of prophets. There's an age of the apostles. And we saw a lot of miracles. We saw prophecy happen in those. But we don't see that today. And I think what it felt like a lot of that teaching took for granted is that our current, like our context was such that we didn't see, like we didn't have the faith to see those uh, yeah. things. And we can explain a lot of that away. If someone's healed, we can have a, a, an easy explanation as to why that might not be God at work. Um, or at least like not see that as a miracle that he's provided. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly parts of the world where spiritual gifts look completely different than our contexts do. Yeah. And I don't know that that necessarily means that those are any less genuine um, in their context. And so my only concern or just, I guess anxiety is probably a good way to put it is trying to understand how, gifts of miracles and healing um relate to this and like how those fit into our context if they do um sure. in, in today's day and age um i imagine like i'm not sure 
like the, the frequency maybe is a great way to kind of engage with that. Like what sort of frequency should we expect with this? What sort of frequency should we expect to see gifts of power? And it's like, well, I think our perspective, our perception of what the early church was like is a little kind of out of proportion to what it really was. The reality is that early church was size-wise in terms of early church numbers about the size of this congregation. And while we think of exponential growth for those churches back then, it's probably one, one convert a year, maybe. You add that over hundreds of thousands of churches, and then there is exponential growth. So related to the gifts, how often do they experience this? Kind of that question of like how how quickly did the early church grow? Like it's hard to say. Like in terms of what our expectations and frequencies, I would I would love for us to see more, not because I want to see the stuff, but because it it's another way of seeing God at work among us. That's not to say that that's the only way or even the most important way. I think the way I'm trying to define gifts of healings broadly I put this in my notes and I'm just remembering it now I wonder um, if the the way we've had track so Lori mentioned this earlier we have Heather set aside as our deacon of crisis care specifically for the whole how do we support care for survivors of abuse and all that stuff I would put that under gifts of healing because here's a traumatic event. It scarred us in ways that may not be visible. And yet God's continued to give us people that we care about and they experience healing. Is that a flashy definition <laughs> or expression of what, you know, somebody's leg growing or being healed from cancer? No. Are those things legitimate? Sure. But this is how we've experienced, I would say, the gifts of he- the gifts of healings within our context. Not the only way. I can't describe. I can't define beyond that. But that's why I'm trying to provide definitions that give us like broad wiggle room to kind of dance. Wiggle room that allows us to dance, <laughs> not wiggle room. That, so I don't know if that gets to your question, Matt. But that's just a random. The nice context here is that I can randomly rant about things and call it a sermon, and <laughs> I get away with it. <laughs> Does that speak to your anxiety? No, not quite, but kind of. Okay. Rachel? Um, I think something that, off the cultural thing, all of these gifts come out of a place of need like gift of faith gift of healing works of miracles you start needing something and yeah collectively we often don't want to admit we have a need um so i think if you're looking for these things to happen more um and you're looking for where they're happening they're going to happen out of a place of need um and so acknowledging those needs is kind of a first step yeah absolutely Ava. So for school, I had to read a book called God Smuggler by um, 
It was about a guy named Brother Andrew. And during the war, um, he got shot in the foot and had a limp. And then, so he was sent back um, and he got really into God. And then eventually when he was praying, his, his limp was fixed. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's, if that like, because that was um, around the time that there was like a very big um, thing about the Iron Curtain. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if there are any like stories or like stuff from now around like closer to now. That are like that type of healing. Yeah. So like. I would, first of all, as somebody who has arthritis in both my ankles, I'd love for that to happen for me. Um, I, uh, so at the beginning of the church plant, I'm not sure if anybody is familiar with the name. I, um, Ken Drury was a part of the church plant early, early on. He had been healed from cancer. Like he, he had cancer, like terminal diagnosis, you're going to die within a year. Goes to an ER, right, the, the appointment gone cancer comes back 12 years later dies of the cancer that time that's why it wasn't that's why most of you don't know him because he was at the first year of church plant meetings and then on hospice and passed away so did god heal him yes did he ultimately heal him eventually through the resurrection of the body yes it is like he was he was on death's doorstep with cancer and then suddenly gone. How do you explain that? The doctors were like medical miracle, and we're all kind of like, what? I think Jesus had something to do with it. But so I, that's my experience. There might be other churches in the area that have different experiences or different stories. That's as far as I'm aware. Like I can speak to that stuff. So okay. Um. It's 11.25, so here's what we're going to do. Um, I know you guys are like on the edge of your seat, like gift of prophecy and gift of tongues. Maybe let's talk about that. All that stuff we're going to talk about next week, I can just brush over the definitions and give you a little bit of the, uh, what are the seatbelt dynamics related to this? <laughs> so let me just throw these up here, and then we'll kind of close up. All right. So... Uh, gift of utterance. Do we have gift of prophecy? There we go. Gift of utterance, the spontaneous, spirit-inspired, intelligible message orally delivered in the gathered assembly intended for the evocation and encouragement of the people. Um, the ability to distinguish between spirits, I ultimately think, is just basically a checks and balance on the spirit, the gift of prophecy. It, tongues has interpretation. Prophecy has interpretation if it's unclear. I think that's basically what the distinguishing between spirits is. Various types of tongues, a prayer or praise and words not understood by the speaker for the upbuilding of the church. Uh, I know that some people want to get into this conversation of, is this a known language, is it an unknown language? I am going to incline towards an unknown language. I, I know that Acts 2 has known languages that aren't known by this person that's speaking them. That's why I'm putting this in a vague something that they don't know what they're saying that needs interpretation. So we'll get to those next week. 
I kind of anticipated that we would kind of run out of time. I think the goal here, if I could just kind of circle us back, I want to read the uh, last few verses here. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he, or she, as he the Spirit, wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in each one... Uh, for in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I realize we've talked about something that is maybe like you might not be fully on board. You might be fully on board and kind of like give us more. The important part of this whole operation this morning is to say the spirit wants us to be encouraged in Jesus. And there are some things that are going to be outside our comfort zone, and there's some things that are going to be require us to believe that God's doing something something in us or through us when we feel like we're just kind of idiots with a mouth. <laughs> the reality is the Spirit loves to do something through each one of us in this context to build us up in Jesus. That's, I, that's the main point here. God loves to build us, strengthen us in ways we don't anticipate, ways we don't expect, to become more and more in love with Jesus and to experience his life together with us. So, we've done the Q&A. With that being said, we're going to pray, we're going to take communion, and then Drew and Carrie, Lynn and John, can we do one song, just to kind of give for time. I'm just very aware of children's ministry people. I don't want to overextend their, their gift of faith. I, I have gift of faith, maybe, but not that much faith, you know? <laughs> So I'm going to pray, communion, one song. Father, as we've uh, talked about this passage and processed it together, I'm grateful that you are among us. Help us, Lord. Help us to trust you. Jesus Christ is the dawning light of the new life in God. And we've experienced his love and care for us by the Spirit. And so would you strengthen us even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and sing about your praises, because Jesus is worthy of our whole heart. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.